All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you here from New York City on the 10th day of April 2018. Before I talk more about today's show, I like to remind you, as I do almost every week, that I am the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, uh, and uh, you can learn more about that by going to miningstocks.com or you can call our office to subscribe 718-457-1426 718-457-1426 or you can go to miningstocks.com and subscribe directly there i uh, also like to encourage you to consider uh, subscribing to Chen Lin's excellent newsletter uh, and you go to chenpicks.com what is Chen buying what is Chen selling uh, is a newsletter that, uh, well, it's one that I subscribe to, I receive, and uh, he has lots of really great ideas. Let me just give you an example of one of the things that Chen is looking at very closely now and one that I have also followed quite closely as Sorrento Therapeutics, SRNE, uh, trades in NASDAQ, $6.15 earlier today. They have an innovative ways of treating cancer through adoptive cellular immunotherapy immunotherapy uh, for both solid and liquid tumors. And uh, this is a company that's gaining a lot of attention uh, from some of the top people in the industry and it just received some approval for the FDA to start human testing on its CD38 CAR-T drug that it's using. It really sort of goes right to the cellular, to the cell in which the, the cancer is uh, is living and it goes after it directly and uh, it seems to hold a great deal of promise. Chen just noticed uh, noted that uh, in fact some major drivers are in place uh, for this company's progress. Um, first of all, they, they do have the ability now, the right to start testing this on humans that has been very successful on animals in the past but now they'll start the human testing. Uh, and there's some a, a, a deal with a company called Cellularity. It's a private company that um, uh, in this field that is a very, very major company. And the likelihood of hooking up with a major pharmaceutical company appears to be on the horizon. Uh, and then lastly, uh, it seems as though the company may be very, getting very, very close to uh, a, um, well, if, if these other things take place, as we think they will, uh, then it looks like the Sorrento will get a listing probably in the Hong Kong exchange as well. So Chen really keeps up with this story um, very, very uh, thoroughly, and he knows the management, talks to them frequently. 
Uh, and uh, he will help you, uh, if you subscribe to his letter, he can help you as well. Understand what is happening with this company. And I uh, would suggest, again, it's chenpicks.com if you're interested in subscribing to Chen's newsletter. Um, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And I want to thank you uh, also for sending your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises along. Feel free to do that. Questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. I also uh, want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, to, for today's show, our sponsors are RN Resources, Bonterra Resources, Dynacore Gold Mines, Genesis Metals Corp., Klondike Gold, New Range Gold Corp., Northern Empire, and Novo Resources. And I will be speaking. Uh, with Ivan Bebek, the executive chairman of RN Resources, uh, at, uh, after a first commercial break. I've titled today's show, Ron Paul Warns of Tariffs and Rising Economic Storms. The former congressman and presidential candidate, Dr. Ron Paul, will uh, be with me during the second half of today's show, and also Michael Oliver and Ivan Bebek, as I just noted, will be with me as well. President Trump seeks to restore jobs by placing a tariff against imported goods from China. My guest, uh, Ron Paul, during the second half of the hour, uh, well, he believes that tariffs are not the answer to America's rising economic problems. Rather, he looks to monetary manipulation by the Federal Reserve as the cause for massive trade imbalances and income distribution issues uh, that we're all becoming painfully aware of. What does Dr. Paul think it will take to restore the U.S. economy to the good old days of egalitarian income distribution before the 1970s? And does he continue to believe rising levels of inflation are a threat to the well-being of average Americans? In addition to buying gold and silver, are there any are there other things that can be done that we as individuals can do to protect ourselves from Washington and the Wall Street scavengers? Well, these and several other questions are the issues that I want to ask Dr. Paul about after uh, in the second half of today's show. Ivan Bebek, the um, he is the executive chairman of RN Resources, uh, will be with me as I mentioned just in a few moments. Uh, actually. RN Resources is managed uh, by Ivan and his partner and others that have had an enormous success in the past, uh, done extremely well in finding uh, viable gold deposits and turning share prices from pennies to many dollars. And uh, it looks like they could be on to another one. In fact, I think it has the best prospects of, of any of the companies that they've worked with in the past. And so we'll be talking to Ivan uh, right after the first commercial break. But right now, I'm really pleased to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again, the most frequent guest on this show. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jake. It's good to be back. Always good to have you here, almost weekly. Thank goodness for that. And I and I want to tell my listeners, as always, it's Oliver MSA, OliverMSA.com, to learn more about uh, Michael's work and also to sign up for his letter. Uh, Michael, in your weekend missive, uh, you showed quite clearly uh, that the momentum structure for the NASDAQ 100 had definitely broken down. Yet today, we're seeing the NASDAQ uh, on a tear as the, generally the equities are up. I'm looking at the Dow Jones is up 469 points at the moment. Um, yet, I don't think that you're buying it, are you? You're not buying that we're on to no, another it's, happy um, days again. The, it, it's, they're broken now. The NASDAQ was the laggard. Uh, it, S&P broke in uh, February, the early February break. But the NASDAQ avoided my numbers uh, astutely. (laughs) 
and mm-hmm. uh, but it broke them this quarter. So in the first mm-hmm. week of April, they're gone. Uh, I think that the uh, I've argued in reports before that I'm not sure how the outcome is for the spare market, whether it's the potential for a crash-like situation or an arduous, time-consuming decline. I'm, I'm more inclined to think it's the latter. That you go in big layers, then you have big fist fights well below the highs that go nowhere but they're fist fights and they impress both sides one week, then another week, then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, just right now, S&P, for example, just look at a weekly price chart. Look at the last four weeks. Find the midpoint of the last four weeks. It's about 8 9% off the high. So we're having a pillow fight way off the high. And I can, and if you look, pardon the term, an idiot chart, you take a price chart of the S&P, go back on a monthly or a weekly and go back and draw an uptrend line, you can see that, oh my goodness, it's sitting on a line. Mm-hmm. And the line was defined by the weekly close in February, that sharp two-week drop we had. Then there was a big rebound that lasted until March, didn't make a new high. Mm-hmm. Then you came back down and squatted on the line for the last four weeks. I mean, you didn't hot-foot it off the line. You're just sitting on it. You rally, you come back, you sit on it. So it's hugging the line. I'm talking price charts now. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I run comparable charts using momentum measurements, such as a three-quarter moving average, a 200-week moving average oscillator, and mm-hmm. plot the same time period, I'm below the trend structures. The mm-hmm. fight is going on below broken uptrend lines that are that jump off the page at you. If you look at the momentum chart, you say, oh my gosh. You look at the price chart and say, hey, I'm holding. Well, yeah. there's a debate there. Mm-hmm. And I think the debate usually will, it, it resolves in favor of momentum. And I've got too much momentum evidence that says, no, you're broken. You can have your little fist fights here and waste a month of whatever you're, you know, it's not, you're not going to go back to the highs, I don't think. I think it's over. And then when I look at the other asset categories, Again, viewing these asset categories as, as changing trend direction. And they've been under, in that process for, since 2016 in phases. Uh, gold continues to gnaw away at the top end of its range of the last two years without breaking down, mm-hmm. despite the stock rallies. Uh, the dollar can't get a rally going to save its life. It's stuck about a point above its low. It's been stuck in a range for about eight weeks. It can't get a rally going to save itself. Its major trend is down. T-bonds, interest rates, they should have had a counter-trend rally. They're having one, meaning rates dropping a little bit. But it's a wasted rally. It's it's going nowhere. It's a six-point rally. In fact, intraday today, we were where we were six weeks ago. Okay, so it's a pathetic rally in a major downtrending market. The area that I'm most focused on uh, early this year was the food commodities which did not participate in the commodity uprising of 2016 and 17, when oil went up big and gold went up big. The foods didn't, grains in particular. They broke out in January and February by my work, and they ran up a bit, oh, 5 10%, pulled back sharply recently. There was a uh, back two levels uh, that they broke out from, by the way. Uh, there was a newsy story that came out with the tariff fight between China and the U.S., Chinese threatened a 25% tariff on soybeans, among other markets. So the soybeans collapsed that day, 50 cents, still above the original breakout points on annual momentum. But Mm. within days, they regained the entire thing, and now they're pressing back at the highs again. 
So in other words, you take these type of news stories that, that scare everybody. I mean, there was a one-hour drop of 50 cents in the soybeans, which is a big drop. Uh, it's been erased in your back pressing at the highs. So the food commodities, which I view as a very important portion of the commodity complex, when they reassert themselves and, and beat their chest and people say, my goodness, foods are in a bull trend, uh, there's commodity price inflation in foods, uh, that's going to have a shock effect, uh, particularly on the debt markets. And I think it'll, uh, people will start to realize that this is a contagion that's not just oil and gold, it's, it's across the board in commodities. So when I look at all four asset categories, I continue to see progress in the directions that we expect, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. Um, but I have to wonder, though, if we start seeing a lot of food inflation, uh, if the Fed might not feel like it has to slam on the brakes and well, then take they'll away have the... a lovely wreck with their stock market. Then you know I can yeah. push them well. Uh, now, I, once these things get going early on, it, it's it's hard to fight them. They can fight them later on after food markets have gone up for two years and are sort of exhausted. And then if they they try their their mm-hmm. metrics, their their measures, then it might work. But early on, yeah. when the when the top of the pot blows off, uh, there's yeah. so much pressure that their efforts are largely a waste of time, yeah. assuming they do anything anyway, because it would threaten the stock market. Yeah. Uh, Michael, with a, with a minute or so left here, what about silver? Um, you've commented on gold. I like it. Silver, you like it a lot? I mean, I'm hearing a lot well, of people, know, technical, below, technicians. Silver's behaved differently. It's behaved like the GDX, the gold miners. If you look mm-hmm. at a chart... They made a, a low in, in 2015 and 16, exploded big time, much bigger than gold on a percent mm-hmm. basis. But then they pull back into the middle of that two-year range, the 2016 low, the 2016 high. They pull back in the middle all of last year and went to sleep. Literally, just a dull, boring trading range sideways situation. Gold mm-hmm. didn't do that. Gold went back up to its highs and nested below the highs. Mm-hmm. But silver has some attributes of specifically um, just above 1720. You know, we've traded today up almost to 1660. Uh, so, you know, uh, 60 cents above the current market. There's some numbers on silver, which don't mean too much on price, but to us indicate that the lid's going to come off and the silver's going to reassert itself. Uh, and, and then go back up and you know, probably go to $25 is where our target would be. So, you know, we're within about 60 cents on silver blowing the lid off this quiet little market. Um, and and where, it, where you'll see silver reassert itself on a performance basis versus gold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think uh, that's, I think it's almost, it's almost inevitable looking. It's just a matter of when do they do it. All right, and, and with regard to gold, I think you're looking at some key numbers at this point in time. Of course, those numbers always change over time, but I think you're looking at still well, looking at something like 1350. We need to clear 1350 yeah, or that's something a like that. Based number actually this time. Uh, all our mm-hmm. momentum stuff it just says uh, be long. You should have already been long a long time ago, in February yeah. 2016. But there's a price chart level that will wake up the crowd that look at price charts, and basically that's 1350 monthly close. And mm-hmm. we've traded above there in the last three or four months, but we're glued up there. If you look at a price chart of the gold for the last four months, it's like gone dead, quiet, nailed yeah. between, oh, about 1310 and 1350. Mm-hmm. Quiet, zone, you know. 
break through that, and we could be uh, yeah, looking I at much higher numbers, I guess. You're, you're projecting something as high as 1,700, ultimately, I think. Huh? my next swing objective, not the end, but just the next. Uh, no, the next. Not the end, okay. No. All right, well, uh, Michael, thank you very much for being with us. Always a pleasure to hear your... Thank you, Jay. More than a pleasure, it's, it's a profit-making opportunity hearing your, uh, your advice, so thank you so much. For, uh, for sharing that with us once again. Well, folks, uh, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away. Ivan Bebek, the executive chairman of one of my favorite companies, RN Resources, will be back with us. RN is a company whose shares have, have not performed very well, but um, I think that provides an opportunity for those of you who may not own the stock. Uh, we'll be right back with Ivan Bebek after the break. Don't go away. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project. Located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest-grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well-financed with no debt, New Range is unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX symbol NRG. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Ivan Bebek, the executive chairman of RN Resources. He, he and his partner have had a great amount of success in the junior exploration sector, having brought uh, at least a couple of stories that I'm familiar with, uh, companies that were selling for pennies uh, to multiple dollars, made their shareholders very wealthy. Uh, and uh, they're back to do it again with, I think, a vehicle that is probably the best yet that they've had. So I'm very excited to welcome Ivan with me, uh, back on the show again today. Thanks for joining me, Ivan. Thanks for having me, Jay. Great to be back. 
Always good to have you here to talk about RN resources, although RN resources, I mean, I would be uh, I would be disingenuous if I said that as a shareholder, I'm completely pleased with the performance of the stock last year. It's not been a good performer. You're not alone in that regard. The whole uh, gold exploration sector has uh, not performed well. It's not performed as well as gold has, uh, but I think that day is coming back, and so I see your shares right now. I see investors that don't hold them as having a really great opportunity perhaps to pick some up. So I'd like to explore what you're doing uh, this year in 2018. Um, Your stock trades in Toronto and New York uh, under the symbol AUG, and I think it was selling at something like a dollar. Thirty or so U.S. I think, and something like that. Dollar thirty-five. Yeah. Dollar thirty-five. So, so it's been um, it's been a tough six months, and I'd be disingenuous if I didn't say that as well. Uh, just because um, it's you know the the market's going to have various cycles along the way. Which, as a contrarian, I'm in a very good mood because Mm -hmm. you know we've been pretty big buyers, not just in our name, but in in the space as a whole. Um, If you think of what defines a bear market or an opportunity in the market, it's kind of when everyone's questioning their existence and, you know, their future and looking at saving money versus spending money, which is where most junior mining companies have been for the last three or four months, especially uh, since the end of last year, where we saw other sectors do well. I think the fact that those markets have cooled off a little bit, it's going to give us a lot more attention back to what's really going on in the gold market. And as you've said, the gold commodity price is doing great. It's got a beautiful chart. It looks like it's Mm -hmm. going to break out. And that gives us a lot of confidence as a company we look at this year and we compare it to last year, just a reminder for shareholders and, and new people learning about it, we've, we raised about $40 million with an investment of 35 from Gold Corp last mm. January. And we went on a very ambitious endeavor, and that was to go and explore a 300-kilometer-long greenstone belt in Canada that's around some of the world's largest, highest-grade deposits being mined in the Arctic. And we continued through um, our Homestake Ridge project in BC, and we got down to one of our Peruvian projects. And, uh, you know, that being said, these were kind of first major passes that we were taking. And uh, although we didn't drill results that, you know, fully satisfied the market, if you asked us internally on a technical basis, uh, we're working with Newmont's former global exploration team. What do they think of the outcome of those results? It was, it was extremely, extremely positive. And there was a lot of, a lot of learning that went on and, you know, learning is not fun for the share price, but it's fun for the next program, which we'll be drilling Committee Bay later this summer. And then we'll be back to drill Peru probably by Q4 of this year on a major project that we just got access to called Sombrero, which we'll be talking about shortly with some press releases. But the big thing is, Jay, you know, if you look at Committee Bay and you ask, you know, what would be the real simple result of last year's program? And that was a discovery hole next to 1.3 million ounces of nearly eight grams per ton. Um, That discovery hole at our IVIC target it is very meaningful, and to go back this summer and drill underneath that and beside it, and you know, if, if those two dimensions, a depth and width of that hole pan out, and the chance of it are quite high based on the fact that you have a hole to drill underneath, you know, the gold came up to the surface, not from mm-hmm. the surface. It gives us a lot of confidence. And 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 why are we so excited? Why would it be so meaningful? Because the scale of the footprint on surface that we're seeing is substantial, you know, and it could be something that could scale up to a five plus million ounce discovery, which would be epic for our shareholders in a market that's completely crippled by growth. There's no major discoveries being made and I have to go back towards that. And when you talk about finding a five plus million ounce deposit, you know, that's 
world-class. No one's finding that. Even the majors are looking at smaller projects these days because there isn't anyone finding these things, and that's a victim of the market conditions. If you go over to Homestake real quick and you say, Ivan, how did that go last year? Well, our best holes were at the end of the program. And Homestake's had some, some interest corporately from some people that were considering to buy it, and we mm-hmm. would consider a sale. But you know, we kind of took a step back recently with the kind of a, a shift towards our, our plan, and we thought, well, we found the low-hanging fruit you know, that the dip of the South Reef extension at the end of the program, there's probably a lot of holes there that we could add at a very modest cost to add mm-hmm. substantial allowances to that deposit. Um, we've been working on an internal PEA study, and we're very, very pleased with how that deposit's coming along. So, you know, I think you can expect to see us do a program there as well this summer, and this would be just to continue down the plunge of that ore chute. Um, importantly, the ore chute's parallel to the main zone. The main zone's mm-hmm. best hole was 73 meters of 21 grams per ton. Um, do we get into some really rich big intercepts like that? It's a possibility that would be a game changer if we did. But if we drill more of the same of what we saw, you know, as a shareholder, you would expect a lot of ounces to add up quickly because it's very high grade of what we're drilling up there. And then lastly, Peru. Sombrero, um, I've described it as Committee Bay South. And uh, what I mean by that is Committee Bay is a 300-kilometer-long greenstone belt in elephant country in the north. Well, Sombrero is next to a mine called Las Bombas, if you follow mm-hmm. it. Uh, it was sold for $5.8 billion, huge copper-gold porphyry, fairly lower grade, sub-a-gram gold equivalent of copper and gold. Um, what we see at Sombrero initially was, uh, you know, a spectacular outcropping, multi-gram, you know, two to seven-gram gold and from uh, anywhere from half a percent up to 16% copper with a lot of 2 to 3% copper all over the surface with major structural components that go with it. What we've done was we increased the land position from 17 to over 50,000 hectares, and we're following that up with some more staking. So we should be over 100,000 hectares of total land with our Sombrero project here in the very near future. And uh, that, to, that becomes scale of, of something that would entice, you know, a major based on the end goal being world-class discoveries, multi-million ounce scarn or, or porphyry or epithermal deposits can be discovered. And what we have going for us is size in terms of land position and structures that exist on that property. We have grade and spectacular grade of gold and copper. The only thing we're missing now is the drill holes. And so when we drill that in Q4, you know, you'll hear a lot about the surface work that we do between now and then. I, we do expect more rich copper and gold to come off that surface. But as we scale up to go drill it, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit easier than Committee Bay. And how it relates to Committee Bay is basically scale. You know, it's big, just like Committee Bay. And you're, you're in elephant country. You're looking for a multi, multi-billion dollar asset. And you're next to some big mines that have been discovered in Peru. And, you know, this one certainly has gotten the attention of, of a lot of corporates as well, just because of what's come out of it so far for us. Mm-hmm. Do you have budgets uh, for some of these some of these primary pr- uh, targets this year? Have you uh, talked publicly yet about how much uh, drilling you're going to do in different projects, or is that something that we have to look forward to yet? You know, um, I, there's two parts to that. Um, one is we haven't spoken publicly. What we are doing is we're monitoring the market conditions carefully. Sure. And, um, you know, I think we'll get a lot more value out of um, pre-drilling work on something like Sombrero where there'll be 
some spectacular numbers if they are similar to what's been sampled already coming off the surface, defining mm-hmm. big structures. I think that's low cost. That's a very intelligent way to get your project to a drill-ready state for when the market does turn positive and then to be able to go finance drilling on that basis. Um, with Committee Bay and Homestake, the programs that we get to do there, um, we are, we've already sent our fuel up to Committee Bay. So we the, the big, heavy kind of preparatory cost has already taken place. We've mm-hmm. We also pulled a bunch of samples out of Committee Bay that we didn't assay last summer, and these will give us a few more targets to let us know exactly how much we're going to want to drill. So I'd say in the next month and a half, you'll see samples out of Committee Bay. And these are the samples that we sampled around IVIC that really gave us uh, the 50-meter space samples that were, were sampled in the off-season. They gave us the real definition of target. It showed us where we, we should have been with our drills around there. Um, this will probably give us two or three more areas besides IVIC that could be potential discovery opportunities. And then the last point I'll make is, um, you know, there's a couple projects in our portfolio, and I don't want to isolate them independently because it wouldn't be fair to what we're doing with them right now, but they've expressed quite a bit of interest from outside parties. And um, we've, we've considered a sale if the price was right before we advanced the project further. Um, and we felt there was a time value concept of money on one of the mid-level projects. And, and to, to take that money and self-finance and go after the big ones like Committee Bay, Gibson's McCoy, or Sombrero, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I think those are the big three in Banyo Stalindio 4. But, um, you know, there's real opportunities on the table for us to take advantage of our portfolio and possibly sell an asset. And, um, you know, if we raised anywhere from 25 to 50 million U.S., that would be substantial. It'd probably give us more of a lift in our share price than if we were to drill a good drill hole right now, just on the basis of the market conditions. But sure. what we wanted, what we're promising ourselves as shareholders is with the, about 10 million U.S. that we have in the treasury now, is we're going to be very, very prudent with how we spend that. And we're going to be um, careful not to spend it too quickly, not to put ourselves in a position where we need to finance again for some time. And we're going to make sure that we are you know, going to exploit some value out of this portfolio along the way. Or um, at the same time, there is money in that budget to drill you know, either Committee Bay or to put money towards Homestake Ridge, not both at the same time. So there is money there that we could say no to another financing and drill. However, I think we're quite optimistic that um, you know, we, we might be able to achieve a sale of, of one of the assets between now and when we need money for drilling, which would be in June sometime. Okay, if we could just, with a couple of minutes left here, Ivan, mm-hmm. give us a, a time target if you could. I mean, I, I guess maybe you can't do that yet because you're, you know, it's sort of fluid. The situation is a bit fluid depending on market conditions. But you mentioned Sombrero will be drilled in the in Q4. You've already planned that. I mm-hmm. guess we might get some results uh, from there only at the end of the year then probably, if or well, early in 2019. The way you're going to see us progress, um, we've been quite quiet since our financing on the public side. That's going to change dramatically. You're going to start to see a, a series of announcements that mm-hmm. are, um, there's some overdue results from Peru, from Weacoyo. Um mm-hmm. There's uh, some overdue drillings. There's an overdue uh, trench and road sampling that was done. Um, we are very encouraged by what we're seeing there. And then there's a, a lot of news to come out around Sombrero. And uh, I think you'll see a lot of news out of Peru between now and June. And then when we get those other samples out of Committee Bay, which will really 
shape the program. It'll be what defines the summer drilling program for Committee Bay. Um, what we plan to do is, or what we're covered with, is we're covered with about 18 months of GNA. So any money, mm-hmm. if we did go back to market and we didn't sell an asset that we raise, that's going right towards the drill bit. And so mm-hmm. if we see gold go above 1350 on a monthly basis or $1,400 an ounce, I think that you would see with the right catalyst of steady news flow that we expect in the near term, you'd see a lot of um, a, a revaluation of our company. I think even though we're at the state of not drilling today, I think we're highly undervalued based on the assets and the upside potential of these projects. And I think that um, you know there's not too many juniors in the world that have the scale and upside of these major greenstone belts in Canada or you know pushing 100,000 hectares in a project in Peru with an end buyer such as Gold Corp already as a shareholder if you do get it right and find a major discovery, right? I think the opportunity is is very unique to the scale and size of what we're looking for. And for us, we want to be drilling Committee Bay aggressively again this summer. This will be the the fourth time going up. And, um, you know, the first time was a pilot program. The other two Mm -hmm. times were we're learning and kind of seeing where to be on the belt. But this time is, is, you know, it's the the most refined look we've had and we're following discoveries. We're not trying to make new discoveries. Yeah, perfect. All right, we'll have to we'll have to leave it go at that, Ivan. We are we are out of time. It is an exciting story, no doubt about it. Lots of things to look at, and, and of course, you. Uh, I should remind my listeners again the track record of the management team uh, headed by yourself and your uh, and your partner there, Sean Wallace. So, uh, Ivan, I want to thank you very much for spending the time with us today to to give us an update. Uh, clearly, you guys have been kind of quiet for a while. I can't wait until you start talking about some things and letting the drill, uh, the, the drills do the talking too, which I, I'm very confident they're going to give us some nice music going forward. So thank great. you very much, Ivan. It's great thank to have you, you again. All, all the best. Thank you for having me. Appreciate we'll it. talk thank again you. soon. Well, folks, we do have to go to break now. Don't go away, though. Congressman Ron Paul, former presidential candidate Ron Paul, will be with us to talk about uh, Trump's tariffs and other issues related there too. So don't go away. We'll be right back with uh, Ron Paul. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor 
at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am pleased to have uh, Dr. Ron Paul with me today. As a former Texas congressman and presidential candidate, Dr. Paul needs no introduction, so let's get right into our discussion with him today. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Paul. Uh, You're welcome. Nice to be with you. Thank you. I'd like to hear your views on, on President Trump's proposed tariffs and, and your sense of where the American economy is heading at this time. What prompted me to seek you as a guest uh, for today's show were articles that you recently wrote and appeared on the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity website. On March 12th, you wrote a, a, a short article titled, Tariffs Are Not the Answer. And then on uh, April 2nd, you wrote another article titled, Economic Storm Clouds Gather, But Ending the Fed Provides Hope. Now, we all could use some hope these days, Dr. Paul. So, But I'd like to ask you, um, get into the tariff issue first, if we could. Uh, President Trump appealed to the industrial base of America, where I grew up in Ohio and where you grew up in Pennsylvania. The U.S. has lost its manufacturing base, and it has had a chronic and growing trade deficit dating back to around the Nixon years. In fact, just today we learned from the latest trade data that the U.S. has suffered its worst deficit since the start of the financial crisis back in 2008. Do you agree with some reports? Republicans who have argued that losing manufacturing is not a problem and that running trade deficits in perpetuity is not a problem. Uh, no, I, I disagree with that. But all trade deficits aren't necessarily bad. There are times when economic conditions are that you might want, want to run a trade deficit. But I connect the two with the Fed because uh, we are running a trade deficit, which is not a natural free market trade deficit. And, and we've made a decision to borrow more money and sell less. Uh, what what happens when you get to issue the reserve currency of the world like we do, like the dollar, uh, the dollar becomes our export. Uh, and it encourages us just to spend those dollars, which are going down in value, but other people around the world will still take them and trust them. So it really encourages people to go overseas and spend overseas. And then our tax code and regulatory system also encourages our businesses to go overseas. So it, there are some problems there that have to be changed, but uh, they can't come up and say, well, there's an imbalance, it's not working right, and what we need are tariffs. And uh, what they're doing is uh, is is treating a symptom. Yeah. Well, things are going overseas without arguing. Why are they going overseas yeah. without looking at for you know the monetary policy and our tax policy? So those those are the reason. That's that's the reason I talk about both these issues. Right, treating the symptom and not the cause. Well, I just uh, saw a chart last week. Actually, up until eighteen or from eighteen eighty five until around nineteen seventy one, when Nixon detached gold from the dollar, we had a surplus all the way up until nineteen seventy one. Then our chronic trade deficit it started pretty much from that point on, uh, from 1971, except for a slight surplus in 1975. Ever since then, the U.S. has been a, uh, has, we've been in a chronic and growing, deepening trade deficit. So do you think the trade deficit since Nixon removed gold from the international monetary system, is it a, co- is it a coincidence that we've had a trade deficit since then, or might there be some causal relationship? Uh, I think it's definitely related because uh, I consider uh, the August position of Nixon, August 15th in 1971. I remember it well. Clear, 
And when we declared our bankruptcy in a way, because we were defaulting, we had promised the world we would always pay uh, for $35, even though the American people weren't allowed to do this. Foreigners could come in, flip down $35, and we could give them an ounce of gold. So uh, that system ran out because of the people who predicted what would happen were exactly right. Even Hazlitt p- predicted in 1945 that the system of the uh, Bretton Woods pseudo-gold standard wouldn't work. And uh, it didn't work. It failed, and it's uh, not surprising. And it does what I just was mentioning is it does encourage us to spend money overseas and people will use the dollar. And then there was, uh, you know, the, the, do- the dollar being used for all oil, uh, you know, trades. And uh, we, we've gotten away with a whole lot. The people who condemn, you know, the Chinese and others for manipulating their currency, we are the greatest manipulators yeah. of the currency, and we have been the greatest beneficiaries. But, uh, you know, superficiality is, uh, you know, commonplace along with Keynesian economics. Uh, it's easy if you throw that in with a little populism that people – People really think, you know, narrowly that oh, mm-hmm. careful solve our problem, <laughs> you know, right. and uh, that 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 is not true. That's treating a symptom, and it will obviously make it worse. People should remember a tariff is a tax, and if mm-hmm. you vote for a tariff, you're voting for taxes, and you're not punishing China or anybody else. You're pay, you're punishing the American people, and they, oh, if you ask the conservatives to vote for a tax for the American people for their consumer, go oh, I never would do that, but to punish the Chinese, we have to do that. Because we'll we'll produce all these things. So what they're saying is, if you happen to be in a low income bracket and you can buy shoes from China for twenty five dollars, that the best thing we could do is prohibit that and make them buy shoes from American companies and pay a hundred dollars. That they are going to be better off. You yeah. pay twenty five dollars, you have seventy five dollars left over. Yeah. But they don't see it that way. They just see it. We have to punish somebody, and they see it in a very narrow sense. And that principle of tariffs been around for a long time, even though the founders endorsed. The principle of tariffs, they weren't gun ho of punitive tariffs, you know, mm-hmm. and playing games with it. You know, a probably a one percent tariff on on goods coming in might uh, be enough to pay for everything I'd want for government. But that in itself is a lot different than what we're going through with these trade wars. Yeah, well, in fact, uh, last week I talked to your former chief of staff, Jeff Deist, and he made exactly that point. He says, uh, you know, you're really taxing the American people. He says one of his main concerns is that what it does is really empowers government. Tariffs empower government. But that said, he said he would, he would in a heartbeat, would make the trade uh, go back to pre-1913, when the only source of revenue that the United States had essentially was tariffs and get rid of the uh, get rid of the IRS and get rid of the the taxes, uh, income taxes, and so forth. But and and I suppose you would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I think the only thing is I'd uh, just uh, caution people to. Uh think that uh, it's the role of government, the size of government, and if they depended on tariffs, you could still get into the same trouble. If you still were running a, a, a welfare warfare state, uh, you know, the uh, just like the income tax started very low for a few people, if you start with a very low tariff, like I said, if you had 1% and it took care of a very, very scaled-down government, nobody would even notice it. But what if they keep spending? It's the role of government that always makes the difference. As long as the people 
endorse or, or demand that the politicians provide what comes in a welfare warfare state, you know, they're going to need the money from someplace. So the tariff might work until it goes 5, 10, 15, or 20, and then, <laughs> yeah. hey, that's too much. Yeah. So what do you do then? Then you get the benefit of, of the central bank uh, creating money out of thin air. That hardly works for Venezuela and Zimbabwe because uh, they don't have a strong enough uh, economy and a currency, and that, that, that fails rather quickly. But a, a country like ours, which is uh, kingpins right now, they can get away with it a long time, and we've, we've been doing it, but it's, uh, all it has done is set the stage for a later date, and this is why I predict bad things to happen, is it, it encourages uh, deficits, you know, and the national debt, look at it, and corporate debt is huge, personal debt is up, it translates into inflation, all these things, but uh, this, this uh, that to me, the bottom line is, is you know, the size and scope and, and the role for, um, for government, and uh, if you have too much government, they're going to borrow, and they're going to tax till they can't tax anymore. They're going to borrow till they can't borrow anymore, and then they're going to print until they can't print anymore. And I think we're reaching that stage, you know, where where there's talk of competing uh, central bank uh, and reserve currencies around the world. And um, I think that talk will turn into action. The Chinese certainly are anxious to do that. Gold is shifting from the west to the east, and they're accumulating gold, and Russia's accumulating gold at the same time, uh, you know, we don't even know if we have any gold. You know, is the gold really there? The truth is, nobody really knows that, whether it's there or not. Yeah, hasn't been audited since Eisenhower. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Paul, about the competing currencies, because it's it was just on, I believe it was March 26th, when the Chinese opened up their yuan, their petrol yuan trade um, futures markets in Shanghai. Uh, and uh, alongside of that, they have a gold futures exchange as well and China is now suggesting they don't want dollars they don't want to pay uh, for their oil that they import in dollars they are by the largest oil importer now in the world bigger than the United States as we're producing more of our own and so China is saying we want to get we, we, we want to pay you in our currency in yuan not in dollars and if you don't like yuan uh, you can actually hedge that hedge that against the yuan uh, on our gold exchange in the Shanghai gold exchange which as I understand it is a purely physical gold exchange unlike the exchanges that we have here in the West which are mostly paper um, I believe manipulated by massive government uh, traders who go in and uh, they create money out of nothing as you know so well go in and play the futures markets and the gold markets and it's something like a hundred times more gold is, is, is traded or more gold is, is traded paper gold is traded in one day in the western exchanges than is mined in an entire year so a lot of funny stuff going on as I understand that the Shanghai exchange is a physical exchange and and so the Chinese have set this up with the Russians the Russians can provide massive amounts of oil the Iranians can neither of those countries are favored by the United States and there seems to be a growing competition uh, at least maybe a defensive move on the part of China and Russia and some of those countries that we've uh, somebody in our nation has to have decided are adversarial nations so do you point out so you really believe that that the dollar may face some some real headwinds I guess in the near future from some of these moves, I would mention also some of the infrastructure things that are going on in China as well. The 
uh, One Belt, One Road uh, construction that's going on and the various institutions of trade that have been put in place by China. So do, do you see the dollar possibly facing some real headwinds? And what happens if the dollar is no longer accepted globally as it has been for the last number of decades? Well, it'll, it'll be a big deal, and I think we're moving in that direction. Eventually, uh, you know, the Fed will lose total control. Interest rates will go up because of market forces and people not buying our dollar, and that will uh, bring our system down because uh, the interest payments will be so big and they won't be able to add very much. And then the more, the higher the interest rates go, um, and the less they buy, the higher interest rate go, the weaker the economy. No, it will end. And I think this point about the physical gold is important. Um, even though uh, financial, you know, futures markets are okay, but uh, the the distortion that's going on now is uh, most of it is in the futures market and the speculation and not physical gold. But uh, ultimately, it's always the physical gold. And even though there's a tremendous amount of that future market activity, uh, it does reflect in in the in the gold, um, you know, the physical market. Mm-hmm. But it just sort of delays it delays yeah. things, mm-hmm. and uh, that's. That's what's uh, that's what's going on. But the other factor that I'm sure still exists, and that is that uh, our own government gets involved with the uh, so-called President's Working Group on Financial Markets, the Plunge Protection Team. Yes, they uh, they they're involved. And the, technically, you, you know, there's there was a law passed in the 30s that that um, uh, gave permission for Treasury to be involved in the gold market because that's when they took the gold from the people mm-hmm. and they wanted to fix it. And they rigged the price of gold, which lasted until the market finally overwhelmed, you know, in 1971. Mm-hmm. So they're involved, too. That's why it's very, very risky business. And even though uh, it's, um, you might understand this, this doesn't help the investor very much, you know, and the person that needs to protect their money for three years. Uh, I think people who think long term, they realize that they can't destroy gold. Uh, they can destroy the dollar, but they can't destroy gold. But on the short run, you never know. Right now, most people know that buying a treasury bill even for 10 years or buying a bond for 30 years in order to take care of your kids in the future, most people, there's no, I can't imagine anybody buying no. those things. Uh-uh. <laughs> because it makes no sense. Uh-uh. And when you look at, when you look at the cost of, you know, uh, education and college and all going up so fast, you can't even protect yourself, let alone pay, be able to pay those bills. So it's a very, very unstable system. I, uh, I'm, I'm amazed that it hangs in there for so long. But, uh, and the one thing I am absolutely convinced of, even though I've been involved uh, both in and out of Washington, that Washington will not change. It, it is not going to happen. They are not going to eventually get enough good guys there to say, you know, we need to live within our means. It won't happen. The uh, the lobbyists for the military is so powerful, and also the welfare state, you can't cut a nickel out of anything, and there's no two-party system. They get together, and they have these omnibus bills, and they rig the whole thing. They dump it on the laps of the members of Congress at the end of the session. Nobody knows what's in it, and both sides get what they want and Trump of course knew it and then he said well, I'm never going to do this again. this is a very, very good idea but I've heard that before yeah. but uh, so people should should be thinking about uh, the future of the dollar and I think it 
the, the thing to watch is the dollar. Uh, but it's I, I would never be in the position to say, well, I know next week yes. <laughs> this is what's going to happen to no. the dollar or to gold. But uh, I started, I was involved in this and, and was involved in uh, buying gold, you know, back in the 70s uh, and, and planning. And uh, because I, I just was convinced that we were embarking on a very bad system. So gold went from $35 an ounce. It's been as high as $1,900. So we know it's there. And right now, uh, it, it still is the ultimate protection for what's going on in Washington. But I, I have no, I think politics is still important, but I think it's important for the few that know what's going on up there to talk about these things from the inside and try to keep an eye on things for us and try to warn us what they're planning. But uh, ultimately, uh, uh, this whole thing has to change. And I think China is ahead of us on a lot. I think trading in real gold and having a real gold standard, um, that that, that uh, is usually, I guess almost always, when currencies are destroyed, and that's been going on since Roman times, the confidence can only be restored by something tangible. You can't, you can't restore it by saying, oh, we're going to just change the color of the currency and we're not going to spend so much money anymore. And, uh, you know, Venezuela doesn't seem to be able to solve their problems. They have to change the amount of spending that they are and they have to restore confidence and uh, essentially always, uh, you know, that is some type of a commodity. Even if the currencies don't work, you know, in, when the the whole market breaks down, what do they do? They go out and they barter and they sure. have stuff. You know, they have they to. Trade. But, yeah. but you can't say, well, here, I'm going to print some money and why don't you take this for money? So, uh, you know, the commodity standard is is going to last for a long time and it's always going to be used to restore confidence. What's a shame is it takes took thousands of years for the concept of money to be really developed. And uh, what we're approaching is a time that we're at least going to put a monkey wrench in all that and it'll take a while for, to work it out because eventually we have to liquidate the debt and the malinvestment and that's what the whole entire economy is all about right now and that's why I anticipate some bad times ahead. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be awful when it happens and I guess the politicians continue to try to delay that day of reckoning as long as they can but you mentioned with respect to gold even uh, I just saw a chart the other day Dr. Paul that showed that gold has massively outperformed the Standard & Poor's five since the turn of this century, uh, the numbers were something like a 433% gain for gold compared to a 233% for the S&P 500. That includes dividends that were paid out to shareholders of the S&P 500. And yet you'd hardly know that. The mainstream media doesn't talk about uh, gold's performance at all. It'll only tell you it doesn't give you any interest, so there's no reason to own it. Um, with a few minutes left here yet, um, you are the consummate optimist, though. Now, um, you know, aside from your son in the Senate, there's very, very few people in Washington that seem to make the connection between honest money and all of the problems that we're having. Doesn't the system, though, probably have to break down before? Don't we have to see some huge amounts of pain before there's hope? You just mentioned that Washington isn't going to change. It's not going to change on its own. Mm -hmm. What sort of force majeure, force of God, or whatever is going to have to take place for Americans to come to their senses again. My wife was just telling me this morning, she read a little story about a teacher who was trying to educate his students about debt and how debt is such a horrible thing. And he said the kids went home and talked to their parents, and the parents said, well, the government can just create more money and take care of it. 
So there is that mm-hmm. mindset throughout the the United States, throughout the Western world, I dare say, and it's one that needs to be re-educated. You have been all about educating people, helping them to understand this connection. And Lord knows lots of people have learned from you and your work over the years and the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. All the work you do, I thank God for that. But are we going to have to see some sort of a major cataclysmic event finally, Dr. Paul, to get us to... To, to think straight again about this issue? Yeah, you can't escape it. The, the downturns are predictable because of the previous monetary policy, and the QEs has uh, created this huge bubble. So the downturn is inevitable. And why I'm optimistic is I think there's a better understanding of the system than mm-hmm. ever before. Uh, you know, when I went to Congress first time in six, seven, uh, 76, uh, nobody even heard the word libertarian. Nobody ever heard of Austrian economics, hardly, you know, in the political front. But now there's a lot. I go to college campuses, and a lot of people know about it. It was uh, the college kids that started shouting out to me uh, during the presidential campaign and the Fed and the Fed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a reflection of what's happening. You have to have an ideological revolution, and I think it's out there, but it's going unnoticed. Uh, just like you just made some statistics about gold, which are true, but you don't hear about it on TV. Oh. But that's really uh, what what counts. So I, the the crisis will come. the uh, The groundwork has been laid for the answers. But I look at it, and I guess it's my medical background. Is I look at it when somebody needs a very very serious operation, but we know what the diagnosis is, and we know uh, how beneficial the surgery is. And if you don't do something, you know what happens. That you can be optimistic and say, "Look, this is the statistic. If you do this, ABC, you're going to be all right." If you're a drug addict. We can't cure all drug addicts, but uh, we're on a drunken binge right now. But we also know that if we quit the drunken binge, uh, you know, we can get over it. And uh, But that also explains why it's perpetual and it's hard to do it because people don't want to give up on their addictions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but if we do, there's, there's benefits out there. I'll be speaking Saturday to a bunch of college kids, and uh, it won't be those people you see on TV that the left puts out on there. <laughs> these will be, be good college kids, yeah. and uh, they'll be very dignified and well-dressed and not bums and very interested in, in the issues of liberty. Uh, so, but um, it's, it's not going to come from Washington. It has to come you know, from the people. It is an educational thing, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm a, I remain involved very much in education and spend a lot of time on monetary policy, but I also connect that with the uh, wild spending and interference and the problems we get from the uh, foreign policy that we have. That's a, that's also a tragedy. That yes, it is. With. It is a tragedy. It's so much related to the monetary system. We don't have time to talk about that. In fact, we're out of time today, Dr. Paul, but I want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us and for the good work that you do. Your uh, chief of staff, Jeff Deist, at the Mises Institute, boy, they have some really, you talk about young people who are aware of Austrian yeah, economics, some real yeah. deep thinkers right. over there at the uh, at the Mises Institute, which you are very much a part of as well. Uh, okay. Thank you very much, Dr. Paul, for okay. all you do. Our, our uh, 
best wishes and prayers are with you and your family, your son in the Senate. Thank you so much for being with us today. Very good. Great to be with you. Thank you. Well, that is all the time we have this week. Next week, uh, my main guest will be Frank Holmes, who has created a very unique gold share ETF. And he will talk to us about and also give us his views on which markets will do well and which are likely not to do so well in the coming year. Also, expect Michael Oliver will return with me, as well as Ivan Bebek, the executive chairman of one of my favorite junior gold mining companies, next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bonterra Resources, an advanced exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade Gladiator gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. Over the last 12 months, Bonterra has raised over $60 million and has attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource in the second half of 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000 meters of drilling, where the dimensions of the Gladiator deposit have been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under the symbol BONXF. Orin Resources is a technically driven, capital-efficient exploration company focused on delivering shareholder value through accretive project acquisition and discovery. The company's management team has a record of success in the discovery, advancement, and monetization of exploration assets. Orin's focus is on advancing its seven premier gold exploration projects located in Canada and Peru. Orin's shares trade on the TSX in Canada and the NYSE American in the U.S. under the stock symbol AUG. For more information, please visit orinresources.com.